for tuning in to the 375th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, Daryl D. Lane, as always, wherever you are, however you may be listening, I want to thank you for making me and this show part of your day, whether it be via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, IR Radio, SoundCloud, Pandora, or whichever podcasting app or platform you may be listening to me via being recorded from Buffalo, New York, as always. Gonna have a great podcast for all you guys. Gonna have I'm gonna have Kenny Sim on. This was something that was recorded Sunday night. Uh, the podcast was going a little long, so I just decided to have our college football segment, which is going to be coming up next after this break. And I talked to Kenny about the college football semis: Alabama versus Cincinnati, Georgia versus Michigan. Also talk about the college college football and what Kirk Herbstreit said about players not loving football and opting out of bowl games. So that was an interesting conversation. That's about 20 or so minutes. And the conversation with Silas will be a little bit longer, probably closer to 40 minutes. But now that you guys know all of that, time for the shameless plug. First time listener, thank you. But subscribe and follow right now. Also, share this podcast with your friends and family, whether it be via Reddit threads, Facebook groups, etc., etc. Check on the description below on the timestamps. Uh, specifically on Spotify, you can click on it and we'll go to whichever part of the podcast you want to specifically listen to. It is for your convenience. Follow me on Twitter at NightTrain underscore Lane. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. Type in Daryl Lane and you will find it. I post three to five minute clips of this podcast right here as well as my syndicate show, Outside the Shop. And lastly, if you have Apple or if you have iTunes, then give me five stars and a great review for some odd reason, right? If you don't like the podcast, then... Don't worry, just don't say a thing, because you know what your mama told you? If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. And kind of next, after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, we're going to get to that conversation I had with Kenny Sim about the college football semifinals. Coming up next, after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Now let's go to some college football really quickly. Thoughts on the semifinals, Bama versus Cincinnati. Right, so this was this was a game that I think early on what you saw was when a couple of things. One is when you have a big traditional school like Alabama against a group of five team, one of the first things that stands out is off is, is line play. And Alabama came out on their first possession, 11-play drive for a touchdown. I think they ran it 10 of those plays. Um, But they were able to completely dominate at the line of scrimmage. And once you saw Cincinnati on offense, it was hard to see how they were going to kind of come up with a sustained drive because you're not going to be able to run it on Alabama along sustained drives. And, you know, Alabama was able to lock up the tight ends. They were able to lock up Alec Pierce. 
who got a senior bowl invite, but they're wide receiver. And you looked around, and they didn't have a lot of matchups that they could exploit. And I think Cincinnati maybe thought they could have, um, along with the fact that Desmond Ritter had absolutely zero time to do anything. Uh, I mean, that Alabama's front seven just completely dominated from the start there. And on the flip side, I didn't, I didn't think Cincinnati's defense was that bad. You know, they kind of kept Bryce Young in check, 27 points, but they had, they had to be on the field a lot because since uh, their offense had consecutive three and outs early on in the first half. Their corners held up very well. They that, did, and that was a, yeah, yeah, um, uh, go ahead. Uh, there are two NFL guys, uh, Kobe Bryant and uh, Ahmad Gardner. They, they, they held up very well. Yeah, that was a matchup that Cincinnati had NFL pros against a team that had no John Nietzsche, so it was just Jamison Williams. Um, and then, you know, a tight end, maybe Slade Bolden, but that was the matchup, I think, that Alabama wanted to avoid against those NFL corners. They held up well, so they kind of went to where they had their strength, which was that running game where Alabama's offensive line kind of outweighed 10 um, Cincy D-line by 50 to 70 pounds. So they kind of did it that way. And they had, I mean, 300 yards of offense, uh, 300 rushing yards, and a healthy carry. I mean, they were getting five, six yards a pop. So that's kind of how they went that way. But Cincy had a really good secondary this year, and they were able to, you know, keep, keep Bryce Young in check. Yeah, they were. And Bryce struggled a little bit, but he didn't need to play well based on how dominant Bama was for me. The first play of the game, when I saw Evan Neal, he crashed down on a down block and just destroys the D end. And they got like five, six yards. I'm like, this is going to be a long day for Cincinnati. That was like, it's, it's, it's hard. The first play of the game, we got like three dudes on the ground. <laughs> yeah, that first drive was a statement they made. And then, you know, I'm not sure how Cincinnati felt, but it's just, a, you know, you give Nick Saban a month to prepare. And then that first drive, you know, I don't know how much you get caught up in the uniform and the numbers, but it's just like, no, you know, this is, you know, you know, this is Bama. This is all the fans say, you know, we want Bama. This is Bama right here. Um, so this is this is going back to the roots of Alabama. They were, uh, you know, before they recruited big-time QBs and receivers. But, you know, obviously, Brian Robinson, obvious choice for offensive player of the game. And they were able to kind of, just from the get-go, establish themselves. And like I said, I just, when you really start looking this in, uh, the Cincy offense, I just since he had no matchups in the uh, on their offense that they could really exploit to keep it close. Yeah, just the physicality. I don't think they were ready for the physicality, and why would they be? They haven't faced a team with that type of power and that type of strength uh, at all this year. So you know, you wanted it, you got what you asked for. I don't think this hurt the group of fives uh, in terms of being in the playoffs, I think all that's nonsense. I think they were the deserving team at the four spot. Personally, I don't think Baylor would have done a much better job or any of these other teams or Notre Dame. Yeah, we said it from the start. I mean, it was a pretty, it was a pretty obvious top four. Um, 
you can't go back in hindsight and say that, you know, the committee picks the four at the end of the season, the best at the time. And since he was, uh, since he was the fourth team, there, 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 there was no one worthy enough of, of passing them up. And it was two years in the making, and it didn't work out. But they were a lot closer than Washington when they played in 2016. And against Clemson, when Clemson got destroyed by them, 24-3, and Kelly Bryant. So it, it, it's going to happen. It's not the result at the time. It, it's the top four at the time of selection. And so... Since he was the clear fourth team, I mean, um, that was the clear top four. Did this game hurt Desmond Ritter's chance in terms of uh, draft stock or anything like that? You know, I think kind of seeing the mismatch on that, I don't think, I mean, it. Um, there was a decent amount at, 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 at stake for Desmond Ritter, but I think he, he, he could have really elevated himself. I don't know about really hurting himself that much uh, just because of the massive talent gap. I think the tape on him and how he does at the senior bowl would be more important with that. I still think he's probably a day two quarterback here. So let's go to the next semifinal. Georgia versus Michigan. Kenny, it must have felt good to watch Georgia pound on Michigan, right? Loved every second of this game. A, 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 a complete and other demolition and undressing of Michigan. Do you just think that Georgia was that much better than Michigan? Because I thought this would be a close game. And, and I didn't realize the, the, the speed and the strength gap. Were you shocked how Georgia ran through Michigan? No, not really. Um, you know, I, I think there were some. I think there was some overreaction. The last, you know, game or two, both teams played, and up until that Alabama game, Georgia was the clear number one team in the country, and. I think the big I, I, I think one of the things that when you think about it is Georgia plays Michigan football better than Michigan and they have better players. They want to do the exact same thing. They want to run the ball. They want to take the game out of the quarterback's hands and defensively they want to be physical at the point of attack and get after the quarterback. And Georgia does that better than Michigan and they have better players to do that. So right away you saw a difference, I think, in, in, in speed and level of player with Georgia, with their running back. Brock Bowers, who I think is the best tight end in the country as a true freshman. And then defensively, they were able to corral the running game, didn't let receivers get behind them, and they put a lot of pressure on, uh, on McNamara and McCarthy. But this was... I, I think this was just a, a, a personnel problem that both teams had, and Georgia just had the superior players. Yeah, I would agree with you. Uh, 
And it's tough to run the ball when you have these guys like Jordan Davis up there on front that you just can't move off the ball, and that's how you want to play. So it's just uh, Georgia does Michigan better than Michigan. I think that's what it was. Two teams that have the same style, they want to play the same way. Georgia just does it that much better. Uh, do you think Ohio State would have done better against Georgia? talk about this really quickly with Ohio State and we never did get to talk about this their wide receiver room how special is that the OSU wide receiver room oh and this year the Ohio State receiver room was as talented as a room as you will find and in watching Ohio State in 23 years they had two probably top 20 picks in Garrett Wilson and Olave now they had five star Jackson Smith, Nick Jigba, who's probably, some some say he's better than both of them. And you have those three, and then you have the 2020 number three player in the country, five-star receiver, Julian Fleming. You have the 2021 freshman number one receiver in the country, Emeka Buka, And then you also have Marvin Harrison's kid, who is a technician. Those three guys were the starters yesterday in the Rose Bowl, or, or those four. Fleming, Harrison, Buka, Smith, Ninjba. Those are the four guys for next year. Um, so they're just as talented as Olave and Wilson. So you add up that depth. You know, it would not surprise me if you see this Ohio State receiver class similar to the 2019 LSU team, Alabama last year, and all those guys, freshmen up to Olave. You go look back at this year, I think you see a lot of them drafted, you know, within the first three rounds, maybe all all six. And Jameson Williamson was in that room yeah, last and year. What, yeah, and, and you saw yesterday in the Rose Bowl, that's why Jameson Williams transferred, is because of Smith-Nick Jigba, that they had to get him on the field with with both Wilson and Olave. If Jameson Williamson stays there, he has to move up in that wide receiver room. He doesn't stay like out of the shuffle, do you think? Because he's so good, he has to find a way on the field, right? Yeah, I mean, he find a way on the field, but I mean, he he would be a he would be in the pool with like those 
four guys for three spots. First, Alabama losing a lot of people in the draft. They were in desperate need for a number one receiver. You mean the number one receiver at Alabama, as opposed to kind of being in a four a four man rotation at Ohio State. And by the way, Brian Hartline, receiver coach for Ohio State, longtime NFL player, excellent recruiter, another really solid freshman class coming in for next year. So they just keep retooling at receiver, and they have a really good pipeline going. So lastly, I'm going to ask you this. So a former Ohio State Buckeye, Kirk Herbstreit, he went viral for talking about players not playing in bowl games. He wonders, and him and Desmond Howard both talked about this, if players love the game the same way they did when they were coming up. Obviously, then there's the Matt Corral injury. Everybody's saying, oh, this is why players skip out of bowl games. What do you think of all this? that I, I just don't understand how you know you you have players opting out for one last game and if they're afraid of getting hurt then it would I mean logically you would say once a team is eliminated from the playoffs shouldn't they just opt out then and this has happened a lot I don't I, I mean you could get hurt any play and a lot of these players, especially the high first round picks, have insurance policies already. And players have, and sometimes it hasn't worked. Like a few years ago, Baylor had a running back, Lendl uh, Smallwood, who opted out, and he ended up not getting drafted. So I think they get some bad advice too. But 2015, in a quote, meaningless bowl game because it wasn't had it didn't have to do with the uh, playoff Zeke Elliott Joey Bosa played with Michael Thomas and Darren Lee and Eli Apple all those guys were top 15 picks so they played and uh, I mean this just happened throughout time so I think there's some bad advice I think some of the players might like what comes from football as opposed to actually playing football And something else I'll state here, too, is uh, when you sign the scholarship, you should finish the season if you can, right? Uh, Because you are right from the aspect of why not, what's stopping you from deciding not to play as soon as you're eliminated from the playoffs? What's deciding you to deciding not to play, uh... You know, when you get a little nick or an injury or as soon as you uh, have your draft stock, it's solidified. And we kind of saw this at LSU. Maybe Derek Stingley did that, right? Is that not possible Derek Stingley did that? He kind of shut it down. Yeah, I mean, he had that injury to the shoulder, um, and that was kind of it for him. So it's like you never really know. I think at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. I don't know how much teams care. Uh... I, I do understand if you're a top pick why you would do that, but when these guys who are like fourth rounders, third rounders are doing this, to me, that's just stupid. Yeah, and I also think, I mean, like the Rose Bowl is a significant bowl game on New Year's Day. I mean, I could understand if you like opt out of the, you know, the cheese it Bowl or the Car Care Bowl or 
even you see like Kayvon Thibodeau, you know, maybe number one pick in the Holiday Bowl. I could see that, but he, uh, but like, you know, the Rose Bowl is a significant bowl game against pretty good competition, and again, it's just another time to just to play. Just, just at its core, it's just another chance to play football with your teammates. And something else, too, do you think part of this is also that, for example, like, these bowl games happen like a month after the season's over, so it's like you're lulling around, and you're kind of like, man, I don't want to do this. Like, where, as if this happened the next week, you would get a higher retention rate. Think that has anything to do with this? Uh, possibly. I don't, I don't know, though. I don't know, though, because I know there were some opt-outs right after the season ended where, where some players declared for the draft um, right right after the season, right right after week 13 on uh, Thanksgiving. So I'm not sure on that one. And also, you know, too, some would see the bowl, and some—I mean, and some—and uh, some would see the bowl as kind of like the exhibition for 2022, if it doesn't have to do with the playoff. Not kind of ending the this year. So it's definitely—it's definitely a system too, where you know. You know, I think college football is behind a little bit in adapting in a quickly moving world with with possible playoff expansion. Um, I think if you're in the playoffs, you would not opt out. So playoff expansion, um, what to do with a lot of the bowl games. There is a lot. Um, and then how, how you go about getting some of these players to play one more game. Because, like Mike Leach, it, it doesn't make sense how you would play the entire season, not play one last game at the end of the year. And especially these, you know, you get the, you, you know, you take teams in the SEC, for instance, like Auburn, where their season, you know, they get two losses in September. You could, I mean, why wouldn't, you know, the Bo Nix or a Tank Bigby opt out right then? So, you know, it's it, it's a you know it's a it's it's a broken system that's going on with this, and unfortunately, I don't see it changing too much. So, you think we'll ever see a player? Do you think we'll ever see players stop start opting out as soon as their team's eliminated from postseason contention? You know, I don't think so because I, I mean, I I think the NFL would kind of see that in a negative light for the entire season, um, along with again for for the last year. That year is important for the player coming out to the draft, so that's you know, you know, that's half the year maybe. That's more than half the year maybe. But it's like um, Jamar Chase did that, and he was still top five. Yeah, I think last year was different though with COVID. That's fair. I, I yeah, I, I think that was a one-off. But um, yeah, like the Pac-12 
didn't start till November, and they have extremely stringent protocols like that. Um, but we haven't seen it in the middle of the year, kind of like in the regular in a regular football season. But you know, I I, I don't see that happening because I think that's a lot of that's a lot of tape and playing time that you're leaving out. Um, you were to opt out for half the year or more. Do you think, because Herb Street mentioned this, the bowl game's just not as big of a deal as it used to be? Right. Like the pageantry of it. Like during the BCS, a bowl game meant something. Yeah, I definitely think with the playoff, it's, it's, it's gotten for just the coverage of the sport and for kind of the teams going for it is it's really playoff or bust, and it is heavily playoff-centric, which was, you know, one of the unintended consequences of going from two teams in the BCS to four teams in a playoff. Kenny, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast, man. I appreciate it. Thank you, and uh, yeah, next week we'll wrap it up with the NFL season, and we will have our playoff matchups. And once again, I want to thank Kenny Sim for coming on the podcast. Always appreciate it when Kenny can come on, and I want to thank all of you for tuning into this episode, the 375th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk.